0: Welcome back to But Why they the Podcast. And today, I have a special interview with the director and writer of Swallow from IFC Films, Carlo Mirabella Davis. Thank you for coming Hi, on. thank you so much for
1: speaking. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm really excited. I got to check this out at Fantastic Fest 2019, and it's about to start its theatrical run on March 6th. Um, are you excited for people to, you know, get to see this?
1: Oh, my God. I am... Beyond excitement, I cannot wait uh, for this film to go out into the world and for people to experience it. It's, it's a story that's very near and dear to my heart, so I'm just so honored that I have seen this company that I've long admired has decided to put the movie out. So, yeah, can't wait.
0: So, along those lines, and, and hearing you say that it's near and dear to your heart, my first question has to be: What inspired this story?
1: Yeah, so the film was inspired by my grandmother, who was a homemaker in the 1950s in an unhappy marriage, who developed various rituals of control. She was an obsessive hand washer who would go through four bars of soap a day and 12 bottles of rubbing alcohol a week. And I think she was looking for order in a life she felt increasingly powerless in. And my grandfather, at the behest of the doctors, put her into a mental institution Mm -hmm. where she uh, was given electroshock therapy and insulin shock therapy Mm -hmm. and a non-consensual lobotomy. Um, And she Mm -hmm. lost her sense of taste, smell, because they botched the operation. Mm -hmm. And... um, I always felt that there was something punitive about it, that she was being punished in a way for not living up to society's expectations of what they felt a wife or a mother should be. So I wanted to make a film about about that. Um, But hand-washing is not very cinematic, you know? So I remember seeing an image of all the contents uh, the, of a of a, uh, a patient with Pica's stomach uh, that had been surgically removed, and these little artifacts were spread out on a table like an archaeological dig, and I was so fascinated. I wanted to know what drew the patient to these objects. It almost seemed like a holy communion, like something mm-hmm. mystical, and I wanted to know more.
0: Wow, that's a that's that is a. It all makes sense now. I, I, I like because I, I was very curious when I saw the film like this is a very interesting take on, you know, a, a disorder that we really only see in like my strain you know, I'm using quotations, you know, that show like my strains addictions and and a lot of the times while well, that when they showcase uh, disorders like this and, and, and uh, obsessive uh, compulsions in that way as much as it is a documentary they or docu-series, they don't tend to show us the weight of it, the trauma of it. Um, and I, I think one of the beautiful things you did in Swallow is you always feel that there's something under the surface. There's never a moment where... Uh, it just feels like oh, we're just doing this for shock um when when it came down to kind of bringing Pika to the screen and and figuring out what what the objects would be, how did you figure that piece like did you know that you wanted uh specific pieces to be involved that she would uh, that she would swallow um or did that just kind of evolve as it happened? Did you take any inspiration? yeah,
1: so um. You know, this is a film about small things, about talismans, keepsakes in a way. And so it was very important to me that every one of the objects would be fiercely specific, Mm -hmm. that um, each object that Hunter consumes is a kind of emotional memory. Um, It has its own emotional flavor, if you will. Um, And the marble, for example, If you listen to the sound design, you can hear um, people laughing on a beach with birds Mm. wheeling overhead. And the look in Hunter's eyes suggests, you know, that she's recalling some nostalgic moment of joy from her childhood. Um, And there's something about the marble itself that's kind of magical. It's prismatic, you know. Um, Whereas the thumbtack is a completely different emotional texture, more like a dangerous liaison. And so, um, yeah, we wanted each one of the moments of her consuming the object to be preceded by some kind of event that would trigger her um, need to go to the objects. Um, And I'm so glad you felt that way about uh, the film telling the story in a, in a careful manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe strongly that uh, it's important that these kinds of stories be told. And a lot of times, when stories of compulsions are put on the screen, the, the narrative is all about the person um, erasing the symptoms rather yeah. than examining uh, the reason uh, yeah. that, that it's happening and the potentially restrictive environment or oppressive environment that the person is in, which may have a contributing factor.
0: Yeah, and I think you you did very well in kind of showing us not only Hunter, but also showing the world that she lives in and really building out how she lacks control when it came to detailing the characters, specifically of her her husband's uh, family. How did you go about deciding what roles they would each play?
1: Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting question. Well, of course, you know, um, we were so incredibly fortunate that the brilliant Haley Bennett decided to bring *Hunters* life. Yeah. Um, Haley was so. Amazing with layers of emotion. And Hunter wears multiple masks throughout the film. Uh, there's that first mask, that placid smile reflecting what her husband wants her to be. There's that second mask, her pain, her doubt, Is this where I belong. And the third mask, you know, her true self, her primal self emerging. Mm-hmm. And Haley can give you. All those masks simultaneously, which with just the touch of her hair or the twitch of her eye. So, a lot of, of how the story is told, you know, we see reflected through the micro details of Haley Bennett's, uh, you know, um, face. Yes. Yeah. Um, as far as her, the family is concerned, I wanted each one of them to, in a way, reflect a different aspect of the patriarchal system that was um, confining and containing her. Yeah. So there's the father, her father-in-law, who has the sort of Trump-esque, yeah. you know, aura to him. Yeah. You know, played amazingly by David Rash. And, um, you know, there's that um, uh, oblivious... Uh, uh, oppression that he has about him, you know. He's so, the father's so dismissive of her in this casual, offhand, couldn't-be-bothered kind of way that I think, um, you know, reflects that sort of penultimate power structure. Yeah, And then there's her husband, Richie, uh, wonderfully played by um, Austin Stoll, um, who is kind of a a Don Jr., you know, kind of character. Yeah. Um, You know, being, being brought into the company in an act of pure nepotism that he does not, you know, earn. Um, He is someone who is, you can tell, is is very eager to live up to his parents' expectations and fulfill this kind of alpha male concept that he's desperately pursuing. And he, you know, we see that he sees Hunter as an augmentation to his life. She is there to cheerlead him on. And she's kind of this ornament that he keeps contained within the house. And, you know, within him, Austin did such a great job of, like, lacing Richie with, like, a kind of innocence and childlike quality, and we see some tenderness he has for Hunter, but it's always in conflict with, you know, his um, uh, privilege, you know, yeah. which, which comes out at every, every, in every minute, you know, as he's, he's controlling and containing him. And then of course, there's uh, the mother, uh, amazingly played by um, the, the, the 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 incredible um, Elizabeth Marvel, who is just uh, a, you know wonderful she, represents the, that a woman who has been it was sort of like um, what Hunter was has been absorbed into the power structure is part of it.
0: yeah. Um, and its enforcing that that patriarchal power structure. But is
1: also aware of the um, the pains and restrictions of it, and sympathetic to Hunter as well. As at the same time, she's containing herself. So, you know, they're, 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 uh, I'm so pleased that those amazing actors decided to um, to bring those roles so clearly to the focus, and then of course, yeah. anchored by Haley Bennett's out-of-this-world performance.
0: Yeah, there was there wasn't a single moment where uh, none like where the tension didn't feel real or like something that I could see somebody experiencing um or something that I have experienced myself like there there were, it, there was so much nuance where it wasn't uh it wasn't campy but it was very forward but it was also very uh, authentic so that was you you did an amazing job especially writing their their relationships to each other and building that out um and oh, thank you. one of the other things that has really that really struck me of the film is there the way you shot it is there is an intimacy in almost all of the moments, whether it's between Hunter and other characters or it's between Hunter and her objects and one of my largest questions kind of uh after watching was how did you decide how much to show of some of the more and i don't want to use the world word violent but some of the more um detrimental aspects right so like uh the uh how she eats the objects or how the object, objects come out um you know how she when she collects the first marble, uh, mar- when she collects the marble um, which is the first one that she swallows. How did you choose how much to show? Um, how did you balance, you know, blood and the pastels? Because um, it is very nuanced and intimate. Um, that was one of the things that struck me. Well,
1: I'm so uh, glad to hear that. And, 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 you know, I mean, I, I love that interpretation, the use of the word intimate. I think it's really what we were going for, you know, that you would – be ushered into the internal cosmology of Hunter's uh, world, and 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 anchored through her experience. Um, so, um, I was very fortunate to work with the visionary cinematographer Kate lenars Mendy, um, and we spent a lot of time discussing, um, you know, creating this rigid vernacular for the camera direction. Um, Kate, you know, uh, and I worked on the idea of a set of rules that we would stick to, um, where if you watch the film, you see that in a lot of Kate's framing, um, Hunter is sort of uh, lost in the frame, or that the frame is very locked down and mm-hmm. formal in the beginning of the film, especially when Hunter is on display with relatives and other people. Yeah. Um, and then when Hunter has these key, emotional uh, you know uh, um, uh moments of clarity um Kate will suddenly introduce handheld you know or or will suddenly use a close up or yeah. in the moments that hunter is alone that's when Kate will use you know shallow depth of field and and Kate came up with this amazing idea of um shooting on master prime lenses, which capture the world with such stark texture, because Pica is very textual. Yeah. And then of course, you know, we had an incredible design team, um, Aaron McGill, uh, who's, who is an unbelievable artist and has such a specific imagination and, and, and understanding of color, um, brought in this idea of the, um, the colored gels that Hunter puts up in the baby's room, which was one of my favorite uh, scenes. Yeah. Um, where you see, because Hunter is decorating her house, that um, she's, ref- she's decorating the house the way she thinks this wealthy family would want. But then parts of her true self and personality come through, like in that moment with the red gel. You feel this you know, sense of, of her true persona emerging. And of course, our incredible costume designer, Leanna de uh, you know, is so good at bringing out people's psycholo- psychological arcs to what they wear. Yeah. But in terms of your question about um, what to show and what not to show, it was a t- you know it's a it's a tightrope uh, walk um, with this kind of material. I always believe that audiences' imaginations are so powerful that oftentimes less is more. Yeah, you know, and an audience will fill in the, the blanks. I, I'll never forget when one of our audience members fainted in. Uh, a screening at Tribeca oh, wow. during one of the sequences um, and I went out to see if she was okay and yeah. talked to her and she said I, I just couldn't stop thinking feeling what was happening you know in, 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 uh, in my mind I felt it very intensely and so I realized yeah that the mind you know can, can chill a lot having said that I also wanted to make a bold film that didn't shy away from putting things on the screen that I felt were important uh, for an audience to see and I didn't want to sanitize the story too much so yeah. uh, because I think it's, a, it's important Hunter's rebellion in a way and she's rebelling against that sanitized world she's living in and by embracing and taking control of her body um, she's she is upending the patriarchal system she's in so I wanted to pay homage to that as well so I hope we get the right balance but it was storyboarded every single sequence so we you know we tried to hit the right marks for each uh,
0: for each moment well i will say from my perspective i thought you all balanced it wonderfully <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah there really? were uh I, I didn't faint but there were definitely moments uh when i saw it for the first time in the theater where i got really uncomfortable really quickly and then <clears throat> we would jump out of it i was like okay i can and calm down a little bit but then it, i noticed that uh Especially with the sound design and the choice of, of music, especially when she is in that where she's she's kind of found her power in 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 swallow the swallowing these objects where she hits that stride before um, before her family finds out. Um, where like I notice that we're kind of riding this wave with her. Everything is really from her perspective, almost uh, in, in the sound design piece and the the perspective and we're moved with her but saying that to kind of give us what is going on in her space and understanding and understanding where she's situated in the world um it's really dark right like there's a lot of emotion and trauma buried there but it's juxtaposed against this very bright pastel filled world um, mm. How did you how did you manage that balance of making sure that people understood the emotion while also visually showing something that is uh, really uplifting almost in the pastels or in the, in the colors mm. that she wears? Um, but you can, I don't know. I don't know if that was a very long-winded question or one that was thought out. No, no, um, it's, a
1: fasc- <laughs> it's a fascinating question. And and it's something that we spend a lot of time discussing. I love this question. I'm fascinated by the idea of counterpoint. Um, That concept, which I think I first encountered in um, Blue Velvet, where you see this world that seems perfect on the surface, and then you go down into the grass and see the bugs lurking underneath. Um, I love films that have uh, a stylized surface, because in some ways it allows you to engage with more disturbing material. I think the slight bit of dark humor and the slight um, pastel um, wash over the film makes the medicine go down a little easier. I think if we'd made the film in a hyper-realistic way, it, it would have been harder to engage with it. And there's something so human about... Um, the way that Haley Bennett plays the story, so authentic and honest. And I, I believe in that, that idea of making a film with heart and with um, psychological clarity so that even if the story is disturbing, um, you have an anchor, someone to hold on to, an empathy with the the, the main character. I also have to say that a, a lot of the, this... Uh, work is being done by the score, the incredibly beautiful score by uh, Nathan Halpern, um, is in a way a character unto itself. We uh, he, he, he evoked a lot of Douglas Cirque kind of Hitchcockian energy uh, with his beautiful orchestral score. But then we would lace it with uh, these little metallic textures that would reflect all the, the objects. So I think a little bit of that Serkian score, a little bit of that Hitchcock, you know, energy um, allows the audience to go on this journey. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the counterpoint that you see in the, in the beautiful pastel production design, you know, it reinforces the theme—that idea that a lot of things which are being sold to us in the world as, you know. The American dream all of us should be pursuing are sort of corrosive underneath. There's something sinister lurking behind that, you know, uh, notion of what success and power and happiness is. And so I think the film kind of uh, reflects that through that counterpoint.
0: Awesome. Well, I have loved talking with you and I know we're running a little long. So um, my last piece is just what do you want people to walk away from your film feeling?
1: You know, this is a movie that at the end of the day is about a woman who is in a situation where everyone is telling her that this is what should make her happy, that this is who she is, and that this is what she should want. And she accepts it at first and represses her true feelings in a way she swallows her emotions and her true self in order to um, fit into the patriarchal power structure she finds herself immersed in. And even though the compulsion is dangerous, the pica, it serves as a kind of catalyst that allows her to start a private rebellion that like a pebble tossed down the hillside becomes an avalanche and draws her to who she really is and what she really wants. And I hope it's a film that's empowering and makes people feel seen Um, I believe that uh, genre films um, that horror can change the world I think because genre films are so visceral that they can kind of startle us into this uh, emotional catharsis and I'm very um, uh, inspired by all of the amazing films uh, that are being made right now in the the genre space like uh, Get Out and Babadook and yeah. hereditary, and and so many other films that you know are are, are bringing important social issues into the um, into the realm of genre. And I hope that um, swallow uh, is one of those movies. And I hope that even though it is a, an intense experience, that it, it's a heartfelt one, and that it makes yeah. uh, people uh, feel connected to the character and and, and makes them feel like they're, um, uh, there's an empathy and a and a, and a warmth and a shared experience
0: there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Um, why don't you let everybody listening know how they can follow the film, how they can follow you if you're on Twitter or Instagram, any of those socials. Um, let us know what we can do to you know, keep in uh, keep uh, watching uh, the, the film <laughs> or like uh, where the film's going.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, the film is being released by IFC Films uh, on March 6th. It will be in theaters um, and on VOD, um, you can follow me on Instagram um, and uh, the film, um, and you can go to our, our website, uh, swallowmovie.com, and I hope that if people like the movie, they, they tell others about it. Uh, word of mouth is very important um, for uh, for movies uh, to to, to, uh, to
0: uh, expand our audience, So um, and, and I hope people enjoy it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Carlo. This was really great, and I really enjoyed the film.
1: Such a pleasure speaking with you. I I really appreciate this opportunity to discuss